We talk a lot on this podcast about chess improvement, but when it comes to improving your hiring processes, Indeed is the platform you need. Indeed has over 350 million global monthly visitors, and it has a matching engine that helps you find quality work candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with your candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Years ago, when I was running a chess teaching business, I found it hard to find good help, and I had to go through a lot of back and forth to even screen potential candidates. Indeed allows you to do those things efficiently in one place. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed for hiring, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of Perpetual Chess will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility if you go to Indeed.com slash chess. Just go to Indeed.com slash chess right now, and you'll be supporting our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast, Indeed.com slash chess. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone. I am Ben Johnson, and this is the Perpetual Chess Podcast. Perpetual Chess is a weekly interview show where top chess players, authors, content creators, and accomplished amateurs discuss their careers and share stories and chess improvement tips. Perpetual Chess is a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network, and we'd like to give a special thanks to our presenting chess education sponsor, Chessable.com. For more information about the show, you can go to perpetualchesspod.com. But without further ado, let's get to the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another Tata Steel-focused bonus edition of Perpetual Chess. A lot of you may have heard last week, we did a rundown of this illustrious tournament, the Wimbledon of Chess. In that pod, I was joined, as as I am joined again, by FIDE master Mikeo Ablin. I'll uh, introduce him in a second, but just wanted to say that last week we focused more on sort of the big picture, the history of uh, Tata Steel Chess. Um, I'm sure I'll be discussing that more in uh, coming months, but this time we're going to focus more on the actual standings because as we record this on Thursday, the final rest day, Thursday, January 26th, um, we're coming in for a landing. You know, we've got three rounds to go. It's pretty close as we'll be diving into. But first, let's just remind you all who our guest co-host joining us from the Netherlands is. He is a FIDE master, author of the fantastic book, The Anon Files. He's also a well-reviewed chessable author focusing on the Trompovsky and the Leningrad Dutch, and he's been covering the event for the week in chess, writing about it every day, as has Mark Crowther. So be sure to check that out. And without further ado, let's welcome FIDE Master Mikeo Ablin back to the pod. Welcome, Mikeo. Thanks, Ben. Great uh, to be back. And uh, I received uh, great feedback on the podcast uh, last week. So uh, looking forward to this one. 
Good. Yeah. Glad to hear it. I certainly enjoyed it. As I said last week, it's sort of the next best thing to being there, but I've definitely been enjoying the chess. Um, So we'll be running through the standings in a minute. But first, Michael, sort of big picture. What has struck you about this tournament? What has been your overall impression, of course, with the final three chapters yet to be written? It is an, a very much, I would say, non-standard tournament. And that's probably because you have such a, a diverse playing field with the, with the young players, with some very creative players like uh, Richard Rapport, and then some people of the, uh, uh, yeah, who have been around in the top 10 for much longer, uh, Magnus, Fabi, Wesley So. And I think the clashes between uh, those different kind of generations and different kind of uh, playing styles, the way they, they approach chess has resulted in a, in a fantastic tournament so far. Yeah, I agree. And just to quickly go through the standings, we'll be going through them in more detail in a minute. But of course, Abdu Satarov, the Uzbek phenom, 18 years of age, up to number 17 in the world on the live ratings leads. But Anish Giri is just half a point back and they play tomorrow and Anish has white. And then there's this young upstart Magnus Carlsen, only one point back making a late charge. And Wesley So is also one point back. Uh, so we'll be getting more into the standings. But one thing that I that struck me as I looked at it, Michael, is, you know, here on the podcast, both at the amateur level and at the professional level, we've been talking about how incredibly fast all of the young players are progressing with all of the digital tools in chess, um, with their boundless energy. Uh, they're able to just improve at sort of what seems to me to be an unprecedented rate. And of course, we love that Tata Steel gives these younger players the uh, an opportunity. But as I looked at 2700 chess, uh, Abdu Satarov, of course, is rocketing up the live ratings. But other than that, it's the old guard. Well, and Ding Lorenz having a tough tournament, but Geary is outperforming. Wesley So is outperforming. Aronian, who I felt like had been quiet this tournament, but actually has five and a half out of 10 and is actually up rating as well. So the old guard is doing pretty well. And Gukesh and Max Sudlu and Irigasi um, are down some points. Um, although I think everyone, as we'll discuss, um, has something good they can take from this tournament. But anyway, it did strike me that the 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 old guys are hanging in there this time, with the exception, of course, the young buck on top. No, you're absolutely right, and uh, it's it's great fun to have some of the the old guard in in the tournament. It's also great fun to talk to them uh, afterwards. Like uh, Levon Aronian is always in for some jokes in uh, when he comes to the press room. Like yesterday when Richard Rapport made a very quick draw, uh, I said to uh, Levon, is this uh, what you expected? And his response was a bit like, well, you know, when you, when you play Richie, you know you're going to be surprised. Mm-hmm. So I decided not to, not to prepare because I, I knew he was going to surprise me. Uh, but, but the surprise that actually happened, that he uh, exchanged everything and made a quick draw, is definitely something he had never expected because that that's what Richie norm- normally ne- never does. So uh, Levon was uh, really surprised, but also quite happy with the draw. Yeah, that's funny. Um, and on that note, Michael, I mean, we just discussed Levon, but we might as well take it player by player and you could share your, your reflections on each player in the master section. Now, before we do that, just so I don't forget, I do want to give a shout out to the challenger section. As we discussed last time, of course, this is a... Slightly less strong tournament, average rating probably around 2,600-ish 
as opposed to the many 2700s in the master section, but it's highly contested with some entertaining games as well. Alexander Zanchenko, who is a 24-year-old German grandmaster uh, from Russia originally, is tied for first with Mustafa Yilmaz, who is a Turkish grandmaster. And another uh, strong young Uzbek player, Yakovir Sindavar, is in uh, third place with six and a half out of ten. So those are primary the primary challengers to win um, to win those games. Um, and of course, uh, there's been some, you know, uh, Aline Robers, uh, Dutch young rising star started strong, but she struggled a little bit here in the U.S. People are rooting, of course, for Abi Abi Mishra. He had at least one nice game, but also near the bottom of the standings. Uh, um, Pragananda's sister has four out of 10. She's another rising star. So a lot of interesting stuff there too. Before we get to the play-by-play of the master section, do you have any big takeaway from the challengers, Mike Gill? Yeah, well, a couple of a couple of observations. One is that it, it's very much an, an open race, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if the uh, ultimate winner in that tournament will have at least uh, lost once in in the tournament. So I think it's it's a very tight race where anyone can win from anyone, um, and and lots of uh, young players there, young talents. You you mentioned Misra, uh, who's um, uh, clearly still having some uh, development gaps uh, which he needs to address but at the same time he's playing very enterprising chess and in, in nearly all his games going for it and I, I think that's great spirit uh, the other thing that I found quite remarkable I, wa- ha- I was having a chat with uh, Elina Rubers yesterday and um, she kind of made a quick draw against uh, Petschak uh, who's also having a very unfortunate tournament I think he's on Minus 35 or minus 40 rating points. It, it must be uh, uh, his his worst tournament ever. And um, uh, it wasn't uh, a kind of uh, boring, solid draw right from the start. It just happened after some complications that uh, the position that remained was very drawish. So uh, they were done after about uh, two hours of play. And I asked Elina, okay, wh- what are you going to do this afternoon? And she said, well... What else can I do? I'm going to play Blitz. <laughs> good for her. That's a good attitude. Yeah, uh, that that's funny. And it's and that's that's the sort of attitude that that you often see amongst these uh these rising stars sort of an insatiable appetite uh for chess. So, bringing it back and as you say, it'll be interesting to see who wins and of course you you win some cash if you win the challenger section, but kind of the big prize uh, is, of course, that you will get to play in next year's Masters section. Um, so bringing it back to the Masters section, let's take it player by player. And unfortunately, someone's got to be at the bottom of the standings. And in this case, we'll start with uh, young German phenom Vincent Keimer, who has three and a half out of 10, which is not, you know, it's a decent showing, actually. But what have been your impressions of his play, Mike Yule? Well, I think Keimer uh, is a bit un- unfortunate this tournament. Uh, he had uh, some very promising positions. His um, uh, opening play is maybe not at the level yet where uh, some of the other players are. Uh, I see quite a big a big gap in uh, terms of creating play with white. He often uh, chooses offbeat systems. Uh, but that only uh, gives his potential on, on how well he's playing already. 
And he has lost, I think, two positions twice in, in time trouble, which, of course, is a bit unfortunate. Maybe also because this is the strongest event that he's ever played. So maybe he's, he's a little nervous. He also lost to uh, Carlsen, a game uh, where he was playing way below his normal level. Uh, so that was a free point for, for Magnus. And, and those kind of things uh, can happen. I, I think the Rook end games, uh, two draws against Abdul Satorov and against um, Jordan Favores yesterday, uh, they were very uh, complicated uh, Rook end games. And um, I realized the engine shows uh, plus four. Uh, but even in, in the press room, we were looking at it with some uh, top grandmasters. Initially, uh, Anish looked at uh, some of these positions. Aronian had a, had a quick look. And they all, uh, they all concluded that, that it's not simple at all. And uh, I was very, very much struck when I uh, saw a tweet from um, a well-known uh, chess trainer, grandmaster, who also has a chess academy. And he said something around... Uh, that most mistakes are, uh, that we make are basic, also at top level. And I thought, what? Hmm. That's, that's not my observation at all. If you look at this tournament, uh, these top GMs play very complicated games. And uh, I definitely would not reach their level. If you give uh, the mistakes they make to me as a puzzle, which of course is already much easier than in a game, because you know you have to do something, you have to find a good solution. I'm not sure I would be able uh, to solve it. So for me, when I watch these type of games, uh, it's, it's like um, uh, pieces of art being explained to me. Uh, but it's not that... I will reach that level myself to, to draw such a painting. And uh, it's, it's very uh, yeah, intriguing, fasc fascinating to see at the high level these people play. And it's also uh, instructive to see that uh, with the right commentary, with the right people, uh, uh, mistakes are being explained and you get to see how difficult our game is. But in, in general, I would say the level of play is, is incredibly high. Also for, uh, for Keimer, who then uh, didn't uh, manage to convert both Rook end games, but they were so complicated, so difficult. And even uh, the way both Abdus Satorov and, and Favores managed to, to keep the draw, I thought was very impressive. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's always easier on the sidelines um, to, yeah. to criticize. And obviously, he is, um, you know, he had an amazing showing in the World Rapid and Blitz and uh, uh, nothing to worry about long term, but I mean, I I don't really feel qualified to sort of adjudicate a debate about the uh, the the quality of his end game play. It's, it's obviously better than mine, um, but yeah. but uh, I'm I'm sure whether you know whether it's a glaring weakness or a relative weakness, I'm sure he'll be working on it. Um, so um, I don't think he has too much to worry about long term. I fully agree. And we also need to realize that uh, these mistakes are being made after seven hours of play. Exactly, it, yeah. It, in a way, the Tata tournament is, is very special because, first of all, you have the length, 13 rounds, which is very rare nowadays. But on top of that, also uh, the uh, um, time controls. Uh, they play with a little bit slower. So they have one, one hour 40 to start with instead of uh, 90 minutes. And they get extra time on, on move 40 and I think even on move 60. So the games tend to be a lot longer than in other tournaments. 
And I've uh, heard already from several players that, that the tournament is actually exhausting for them, uh, despite uh, the rest days. Because I guess also on rest days, they're still working hard on chess. Uh, there's a lot of tension because every opponent is, is so strong. And then these very long games. And I think uh, Keimer is probably, I didn't do the statistics, but probably the person who, who made most moves in this tournament and also spent most hours behind the board. Some very, very long games. So despite uh, bottom plays, I think uh, hats off for his fighting spirit and, and how he tries still to maximize his learning journey. Yeah, well said. And what have your impressions been of uh, Aryan Irigasi? Yeah, Arjun basically um, has had two tournaments so far. So he had a, a, a very decent start with a strong opposition where he managed to hold draws in very complicated fights. And now he's lost three games in a row. And, and it feels like a mental breakdown. And it's, it's one of those things where you probably see the difference between a trainer versus a coach. Uh, Arjun has as, as uh, his trainer... Uh, Srinath Narayanan, who's also still a, a very young uh, but fantastic uh, trainer. But for him, uh, these are also new situations. And how to coach an, a player then to get out of that, that mental breakdown is, is not something that Narayan will have a lot of experience with. And, and it's very difficult after uh, three of such heavy losses, for example, an incredible game uh, against Richard Rapport, um, to get out of it and, and get back. So hopefully after this race day, uh, Arjun will get will be able to make a solid draw tomorrow, and and that should that should be the target. And then trying to uh, get slowly back his his level of confidence. But yeah, the tournament is almost over, and and I think it's 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 a bit disappointing for him personally because he was doing so well initially in the tournament. Yeah, I mean it's a long tournament, like you say, so it's easy for the the script to flip. Um, as it goes on. And of course, you have uh, your fellow Dutchman, uh, young star defending champion, Jordan Van Forest. Yeah, I think Jordan won here two years ago. So last year, he, he, he lost the crown already in, in a way. But of course, uh, when, when he won, it was uh, a very big surprise for everyone. And I think in 2022, uh, he had already uh, mixed results throughout the year in, in all tournaments. And his rating dropped a little bit. And uh, Jordan uh, is still a player who, who can have fantastic uh, days, really good days. But he's been a bit more uneven than when he uh, won the tournament. And that's something that he hasn't been able to address. Uh, I think once he, he, he can address that and become a bit more stable, he, he will probably gain 50 points. Because he can outplay anyone at the top level, including Magnus Carlsen. They're, they're all a little bit afraid of him. But at the same time, uh, at this moment, Jordan makes too many oversights, too many blunders, also in this tournament. Um, and then uh, on certain days, he, he plays really well. Yesterday, he was playing an, a, a great game against uh, Keimer, sl slowly pressuring him, winning a pawn. And then suddenly, in, in slight time trouble, he blunders and uh, he managed to escape to this end game, which he, he, uh, ne he barely just made a draw. But yeah, normally, he would have scored a full point. And it's those kind of things. So uh, for me, it's not a surprise because I see part of a trend with Jordan that's been going on for, for about 12 months already. And I hope he will get out of it and, and, and gain those extra 50 points again. 
Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously he, he's young, uh, <laughs> plenty of time to, uh, to write the ship. So it will be interesting to see. Um, and by the way, listeners, I should mention, um, I'm great, very grateful to Michael for, for giving these rundowns. And of course, we're we're coming into the home stretch here with three rounds to go. Um, I will not be doing a bonus pod covering the uh, results, but I am uh, tentatively scheduled to interview one of the Masters scheduled participants in February. So obviously, you guys can find the results a million places online um, and watch the event as it unfolds. But so I won't be doing an immediate reaction to the tournament, but we will be doing plenty of discussion in February and in the coming months. Uh, which brings us to the next competitor. Of course, he was a uh, late replacement to join the tournament, uh, Iranian Grandmaster Parham Maksudlu. Yeah, and, and Parham has had also a mixed tournament. Initially, he started okay, and now uh, he's, he's dropping back in the, in, in the last few rounds. I think what you see with him are, are two things. One is, and I think we discussed it already last week, because of the late invitation, he didn't have time to properly prepare. And that's a major disadvantage in, in, in such a tournament because all the others are, are so well prepared and they put so much pressure. And also with White, it's it's hard to play uh, your openings to create a game if, if you don't have uh, ideas ready. And I think that's that's one of the problems that he struggles with. Um, he, he's thrown away a, a few games, which I think in, in, in normal circumstances he would probably not. But I also see some psychological aspects. So, for example, he lost uh, yesterday to Magnus in, in a game where he could easily have made a draw around move 20. Uh, there was a very obvious line uh, that would uh, result in, an, uh, I would say, a highly drawish endgame. And, and Magnus had uh, already uh, accepted, basically, that the game would be a draw. And then Parham played another move, not to play for a win. Uh, even afterwards, uh, it wasn't clear why he didn't play uh, the main line. It, it looked like he had seen it a little bit, but maybe not paid uh, sufficient attention. But also throughout the post-mortem, and it, it was quite special again to see them analyzing on, on a board with pieces without first checking the engine. Uh, for many years in, in Wijkanzee, that was no longer the case. In the old days, players would always come afterwards and start analyzing. Then with the rise of the engines, player would, players would always go first to their hotel and check with the engines. Nowadays, you see some of them analyzing again. And that, that's what Magnus was doing uh, with Maxulu uh, yesterday. And um, it felt during uh, the post-mortem that there was just a huge difference between level of understanding and, and uh, chess um, capability between the two. And that doesn't feel right considering that, I mean, yes, the rating difference might be 140 rating points, maybe 150. Uh, but it felt like Parham was feeling like a small boy uh, looking up to, to someone who's way superior. And th that impacts his play. I noticed that already in, in the World Rapid, where he lost in, I think, 21 moves or something toward, uh, to, uh, to Magnus. And, and now again, it was a, a game that was way below his normal level. Huh. So for these post-mortems, Mike, you, um, are, are they just doing it at the board after their game? Or are they doing it as part of a press conference? Uh, how were you able to see it? 
they, they come to the press room. Okay. And that's that's where we have a few. But they do have a set, they, or they're doing it blindfold. I mean, I know it's kind of the same no, for them. Uh, mo- most of them uh, actually do it on, uh, with a set. Okay. There have been one or two people who were doing it blindfold, and then I tried to follow, but it's it's very hard to follow blindfold on on which position they're actually uh, starting from. Uh, so most of them luckily uh, use the chess set, and then I can stand next to them and and um, uh, look a bit, uh, review a bit the lines, use them in my reports. There was a very funny uh, moment um, earlier in this tournament where Magnus was analyzing. I don't remember exactly uh, with which opponent. And um, uh, some crazy position arose and uh, they thought it was okay. And suddenly uh, Fashali, who's playing in the, in the challenges, said, yeah, but here uh, you have this, this and this. And normally people never dare to interrupt uh, mm-hmm. with Magnus. It's, it can be quite dangerous. He, he can be dismissive. Uh, but he immediately said, oh, yeah, that's great input. We appreciate. <laughs> that's nice. So, that uh, must have been, correct? Must yeah, have been and it was feeling. a fa- fantastic tactic that she, uh, she saw. Wow. So, uh, f- a fun moment. Yeah. Nice. All right. Well, Michael, we've got more players to dissect, but we're going to take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. Uh, we will be right back. Perpetual Chess is brought to you in part by AimChess.com. AimChess has an algorithm that gathers your games from the major sites like Chess.com and LeeChess and gives you actionable intel based on the patterns it detects. It can be how you do with certain openings, what aspects of the game you excel at versus need work at. And guess what? AimChess has a new feature that you should check out right now, just in time for the new year. You can check out your year in review for 2022. You just enter your username and it gives you uh, how many hours you spent chess, how many games you played, how you did with various openings. Lots of fun facts uh, that the algorithm is able to gather. So be sure to check out aimchess.com. If you decide to try out subscribing, use the code perpetual30 to save 30%. You can also use the link in the show description to try out aimchess.com. And we are back. And next up on the list is Grandmaster D. Gukesh, also with four out of 10 points. Yeah, Gukesh, of course, started with two zeros in this tournament. And uh, it's clear that when you start with two losses, everybody's going to focus on you. Uh, everybody sees you as a target. And then to see how he's now come back, I think he, he won two games in the, in the, in the later rounds. Uh, and he managed to make a draw with Black against uh, Magnus in, an, in a uh, very fighting game. Uh, really struck me as impressive. Uh, Magnus, of course, puts a lot of pressure on you if he's white. And uh, this was a, a Ragozin, and it was a uh, very complicated fight. Uh, and on top of that, Gukes was also a bit short on time. He got in time trouble. Uh, and they analyzed afterwards, and... Um, it, it felt like much more an analysis between equals than uh, like the previous example with Maxudu. So uh, very impressive how Gukes approached that game t- towards Magnus, but also in general how he managed to make the make the comeback uh, in this tournament after his uh, previous two losses. Um, I think yesterday uh, something funny happened. He played against uh, countryman uh, Pragnanda. And they played a very wild opening uh, variation. 
where uh, Pratnanda had maybe prepared it uh, a few moves uh, deeper. But uh, in the end, they were both out of book in a position that was extremely wild, full of uh, possible sacrifices and uh, full of tactics. And what you see here is that um, they just went for it. And uh, I think Pratnanda thought about one move for about uh, 45 minutes, which is way too long, as, as we all know. Uh, and it was also not the best move he made. And eventually he lost that game. But the fact that they went for this opening line without having it prepared to the of detail um, shows a bit uh, their courage and, and their approach to chess. Well, for example, uh, early in the tournament, I think three days ago or so, Anis Giri won with black against uh, Ding Liren. And that was also a sharp opening line where at some point Ding makes a, makes a small mistake. Uh, he plays g5 and Anis can there sacrifice a piece with f takes e3. And he didn't do that. And, and then Anis was much worse in that game. Uh, but eventually uh, Ding played a couple of poor moves and uh, Anis won. And afterwards, I asked Anis uh, about uh, that moment of, of the peace sacrifice. And Anis said something like, yeah, of course, I saw this, but uh, I will never play this if I haven't prepared this. And he said, in effect, I should maybe not even have played this line uh, because if I don't know all the details, then it's, it's quite risky, as happened in the game. And this, for me, shows, shows the difference. And I'm not saying one approach is better than the, than the other, but the difference between approaches between Anis, Giri, and, and for example, Gukes and Pratnanda, uh, where the Indian uh, youngsters are willing to take a lot of risk and say, we'll figure it out behind the board. And Anis will uh, want to stay in control. Uh, and that's just a personal preference. And uh, will try to avoid uh, these kind of super complicated lines if he's not prepared for it. That, that's a great insight. And following up on what you mentioned about uh, Gukesh's game with with Prague yesterday, um, he did show some amazing calculation. I, I caught some of the postmortem interview with uh, Fiona Steele Anthony, and yeah, he basically said, as you alluded to, the opening was a wreck. I just messed it up. Um, but yeah, Prague went for this um, this sacrifice, as you mentioned. There were lots of sacrifices in the air, um, but he spotted this this subtle. Um, clearance sacrifice five moves into the combination that basically made his whole repu reputation work and made uh pragnanda's um sacrifice not work so it, it was a nice little clip um covered in the chess.com recap um but that really highlighted sort of uh what goes on behind the scenes of when when you watch one of these games and impressive calculation uh not surprisingly by gukesh yeah, and, and Gukes and Pragnanda know each other very well. They're, they're both part of this Pro Chess Academy uh, from India. I think you interviewed Ramesh on that, if I remember yes. correctly, a uh, while back. And if you look at that academy, they're extremely successful. I think in the A group, they have something like four participants. Uh, and I think uh, Giri is, is one of the trainers. Uh, Kazanjanov is one of the trainers. I think even in the B group, B group, uh, Fashali, of course, but also Mishra is uh, a student of that academy. Uh, it suddenly struck me the other day on how successful that academy is. That's a good point. Yeah, Ramesh is an impressive guy. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, 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 and Gukes, I don't know if we discussed this last week, but his trainer, Vishnu uh, Prasanna, 
uh, has always uh, taught him chess without using an right. engine. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I discussed this a little bit with uh, Gukes yesterday on uh, whether he doesn't feel disadvantaged uh, in, in his opening repertoire. Um, and he says, well, we've started now working with an engine and with the databases. Uh, I had to uh, at this level. Um, but uh, he also uh, agreed with me that maybe next to uh, Vishnu, he should also look for uh, a second uh, person to help him who's more like an opening expert. And uh, of course, we mentioned then, for example, now uh, Anish Giri and, and uh, Gukes immediately start laughing because uh, Anish is known as, as the best opening uh, prepared person in the, in the world uh, top. Um, and even the fact that he's uh, the best prepared player, he now teams up with one of the best opening seconds in the world, Jan Gustafsson. Mm -hmm. So uh, they've, they've formed a real powerhouse. So for the time being, you can expect uh, in terms of opening novelties and, and how openings should be played, that Anish will stay on top for a bit longer. Yeah, uh, agreed. <laughs> um, all right, next up, I guess a slightly disappointing tournament, especially with the World Championship looming in April. Uh, Ding Loren with four and a half out of ten. Yeah, this must be a very disappointing tournament. And I think when you're going to interview people, Ben, on, on that match and, and, and predictions, they should take this tournament into consideration uh, and, and pay a lot of attention to it because it's not a lot related to the openings he plays, uh, which you, you could understand and explain. Say so you need to hide something for the, uh, for the match. But actually, uh, we noticed that Ding is making a lot of mistakes in, in the late middle game and also in the end game. And uh, that is, first of all, a, a warning sign on your overall playing level. But also at, at uh, the top level, uh, playing with confidence, being in the flow, makes a huge difference. I remember that when uh, Caruana was playing uh, for the match against uh, Carlsen uh, for the title... Before that, Fabi was winning almost everything. Yeah, he was winning St. Louis. He was winning the candidates. Then I think two days later, he played a tournament in Germany and he, he won that. And you really get into that flow. Uh, Ding uh, was a bit lucky already in Madrid in the candidates to even uh, become second. That could also have been someone like uh, Nakamura. Uh, and there were other people who, who were close to becoming second. And now he's invited to uh, play that match. And this tournament is, is really not going well for him. And, and also, outside the tournament, um, he's not very, very social. He typically leaves the, the press room uh, immediately after the game. And one of the organizers on, on the previous rest day uh, saw him uh, walking somewhere uh, I would say uh, next to a main road where uh, cars can go quite fast. And uh, she stopped and, and wondered uh, where was he going? And he wanted to walk all the way to the station, which is probably a two hour walk. And then uh, go to, uh, with the train to a museum. And uh, it looked like he, he had completely lost his way. Didn't know exactly which way to go. So it was good that she in a way rescued him. Huh. It, it, it feels like it's, it's not Ding's tournament. And I, I'm worried about the match in that sense because I, I was very impressed with Nepo's performance last year. 
and I'm sure he will, uh, with his team, prepare very well again. And and Dings play here, it, it doesn't make a good good uh, impression. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully he can turn it around and make it a fighting match. But I uh, I, sh- yeah. I share your concerns uh, going forward. Uh, and with five out of ten, we have another, as you mentioned, uh, young Indian Finam Pragananda. Yeah. Um... Uh, Prague, uh, we discussed already a bit, uh, being trained by uh, Ramesh, uh, just like Fashali, uh, his sister. Uh, it's quite special, of course, a brother and sister in, in the A and B group, uh, probably the first in, the, in Tata. Maybe we had uh, before brother and brother with the brothers uh, Van Voorhees, and, and there might be other examples. I'm, I'm not great in historical stats, but I thought this is quite special and both being trained by Ramesh. And what you see is that Prague's tournament has uh, been some ups and downs. Um, Still some development uh, gaps also in in terms of calculation. Sometimes people say, oh, these youngsters, all they can do is is calculate, calculate, calculate. I think uh, that's a bit exaggerated. But it is true that their historical knowledge is is quite limited. Uh, They typically don't use chess books. Uh, They get uh, sessions from Rames or from uh, Pro Chess Academy with all the trainers there, like Kazimjano, Kanguli, and Giri. And uh, one of the trainers even even told me that a lot of these young players uh, don't have an understanding of... um, which chess player is from which era. So if they are not playing with that chess player, they think it's someone from the past and they put all people from the past together. So for example, uh, Ivanchuk and Rubinstein, for them could be from the same period, which is completely ridiculous, of course. (laughs) That is, that's funny. It's it's just uh, very strange that this is uh, still missing, but it also shows that um, if they start working on it, they can make still tremendous progress because no doubt uh, learning from your predecessors like uh, Kasparov's books is an uh, essential part uh, of your of your chess development at the higher levels. So in, in, in that sense, um, there's still a lot of work and that's also for Prague. But I think he has a good learning journey in, in this tournament. He's fighting every game. Uh, I think he still has his big uh, game with uh, Magnus coming up. If I might be tomorrow, if I, if I'm not hundred percent sure, but c- they're still going to play, and that's going to be a very important game for him in in terms of evaluating how this tournament went. Yeah, we we shall see. Um, always always a good testing ground to get to play uh, Magnus, one of the the greatest of all time. Um, we should probably pick up the pace a little bit, Mikey. So let let's take the next three players in tandem. Uh, we've got and they've come up at least. Uh, Rapport and Aronian have come up already. Fabiano we have not discussed, but anyway, Rapport has five out of ten, and then Aronian and Caruana are sharing fifth place with five and a half out of ten. Uh, what has struck you about uh, those players? Well, Rapport is very clearly uh, not uh, not in in great shape this tournament. Uh, he's quite cynical about his own play, and uh, he might be his own worst enemy. Uh, that makes it more difficult. Uh, of, of, he also lost an, a horrible game against Magnus, and we'll, we'll get to that when we, when we discuss Magnus in a second. 
but he played one game which was absolutely so brilliant uh, uh, against Arjun uh, two rounds ago, uh, where he played uh, this move Bishop E4 in a, in a Nimzo Indian. And it was like um, immediately after that he regretted it because White could go King E1, King E2. And, and I think even if you give it as a puzzle, uh, almost no one uh, would come up with that move. So it shows a very deep understanding. Uh, the engine uh, approves uh, of King E2. And uh, Arjun played something else. He, he, I think he played Queen D2 or something. And then uh, Rapport came with this G5 and G4 while his king was still on E8. A very deep concept. But again, uh, the engine approves and uh, shows already some advantage for Black. Um, Arjun, like I said, uh, has a bit of a mental breakdown in tournament, couldn't think clearly anymore after this was happening and lost very quickly. But absolute brilliant game from Rapport. And I think if, if in 10 years he publishes a best games collection, this game should be in there. Yeah, as you alluded to earlier, vis-a-vis Aronian, you, you never know when he's going to uncork one of these, these classic games. Um, yeah. And what about, uh, actually, before we get to Caruana, um, I had meant to ask you, when you are watching the games during the middle of the games, uh, is there commentary for you to listen to? Um, how does it work at the, at the venue? So for me in the press room, no, there isn't. Of course, I could uh, switch on uh, one of the streams like chess.com or chess24, uh, one of the others. But uh, next to the um, uh, venue, there's a uh, pub and there they give a live commentary uh, every day with a different grandmaster. So you can uh, walk over there. Uh, so that's an option. But for me, actually, uh, I need to t- keep track of all the seven games and uh, try to find critical points that I want to ask the players about uh, when they leave. So it's, it's, it's hard work to keep track of all, all those games. First, you want to understand where they deviate in the opening, where there might be novelty to, to how far they're prepared. And then you also want to get an understanding of where the engine shows uh, big deviations compared to the move they play. And my experience is that uh, with these players, uh, if you just give them one move, oh, the engine says here you should play uh, move X, uh, that's completely insufficient because usually they have actually seen that move, but maybe not seen the entire line that the engine gives. And usually it's it's not just a single line, but there are multiple lines. So I need to uh, prepare that a little bit for myself, try to memorize it, be able to do it from heart. And then I can ask the players when they get out of the, the playing uh, room. But um, it's it's hard work uh, just to be prepared for the two or three minutes that you have to uh, before they go to the hotel. Okay, yeah, well, that that makes sense, and it's good that you uh, that you take this opportunity so seriously and fo- and follow everything so closely. Um, so let's bring it back to Fabi. Um, I, I also, I mean, of course. His losing to Magnus, that, that was fascinating, both uh, sort of from a psychological and from a chess perspective. Um, but what, what, what's been your overall impression of uh, Fabiano there? I, I feel like Fabiano has lost uh, a bit of his playing strength since he lost that match against Magnus. And he's still an incredibly strong player. But uh, around that match, I remember he was over 2,800, I think and uh, winning a lot of tournaments. And since then, it's not so automatic anymore that that he wins these uh, super tournaments, whether it's the US championships or or other tournaments. 
uh, of course, competition has gotten stronger, but also it feels like Fabi sometimes overpresses a little bit. And sometimes also he misses one or two chances that in the past he would maybe not have missed. He's still an incredible calculator. That's probably uh, one of his biggest strengths. Uh, but also you see that he's still uh, a little bit damaged from the match against Magnus. So uh, again, this tournament, he lost to Magnus uh, almost like a child. Uh, he was maybe still exhausted from the seven-hour game he had uh, the day before where he didn't convert against this rook end game against uh, was that against Abdu Satorov? No, against Maxulu. He had a very long game, uh, the queen end game, which he could have won, and he missed that. And he probably checked with the engine and then was very frustrated. And then the next day against Magnus, he 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 lost in basically twenty moves. It was almost game over already. Very poor game from Fabi. So I still don't see the old strong Fabi back. Um, but even if it's not at that level, it's maybe only 2-3% below, so 97% of his all-time high, which is still incredibly strong. And, and that's what you see in this tournament. He can win from anyone, uh, a lot of creative ideas. And he tries to go for a fight uh, where possible. Of course, at this level, uh, if White wants a draw, White basically can always make a draw. Yeah, uh, Apart from... Uh, uh, psychological factors that you, that you don't play at your normal level but uh, you can choose the opening lines, you can simplify the position, you can avoid risk and then it's very hard for black to create anything uh, but luckily at the moment not a lot of people do that against Fabi so I would say uh, any round it's, it's very interesting to follow his games yeah, and as you mentioned, the Carlsen game in particular, I mean, it was just a normal position and then just like one misstep and Magnus's pieces just exploded. Um, definitely one of the many games worth worth reviewing. And as you say, I mean, Fabiano has not been in peak form lately, but still number seven in the live rating, um, 30 years of age. So I'm hoping that uh, he, he makes one more push to the top um, because... Uh, I mean, obviously, I've been a fan of his for a long time, but particularly as he opens up more on the C-Squared podcast, uh, the even bigger fan now. It's so nice to get that sort of um, unfiltered perspective uh, from Fabiano. Um, and, of course, tied for third, we have uh, Wesley, two of the uh, veterans of the chess world, uh, Wesley So and uh, Magnus Carlsen. Um, I'm sure we'll get to Magnus, but any any remarks about uh Solid Wesley So, uh, Michael. <laughs> I think you summarized it correctly, Ben. Solid. That's, yeah. that's the key word. With, He's with like Wesley. a metronome. I mean, some of his yeah. games, of course, can be very exciting, but results-wise, opening-wise, I feel like there there's a bit more of a rhythm than than some of the other top players. Uh, agree. Uh, he has missed, I think, at least in two games where he could have converted. And uh, then he would have been maybe uh, shared first at the moment. Then everything needs to go well. So, so he missed uh, those chances. Uh, I feel that, that Wesley um, is missing a little bit in, in his opening preparation. If, if he would have someone to help him for even some more creative ideas uh, to upset his opponents or to, to derail his opponents a bit, then he would be even stronger. Because Wesley is an incredibly strong player, uh, lots of good calculations, great insights on, on say, the correct way of, of playing. He has a great feeling uh, for that. 
Um, but now at the moment, what you see is that with his openings, uh, he sometimes struggles to create a game. And uh, if he doesn't get a game, then uh, he doesn't lose. He easily makes the draw. But uh, yeah, that's that's sometimes what happens. And then it can be a bit boring. Yeah. Yeah, well said. Um, and he is now rated 27.66, up 6.7 points and number eight in the world. Point, two tenths of a point behind Caruana. And of course, all this data is uh, courtesy of the invaluable 2700chess.com, where number one, uh, down 6.8 points despite being in third place. Uh, that quest for 2900 is quite challenging, as he has alluded to, but making some noise in recent rounds, including. Uh, win against Maxud Lu, as uh, Mikhail Oplin, our guest, uh, alluded to earlier, is Magnus Carlsen. So anything to add about Magnus? Of course, he's come up throughout the uh, the course of our conversation. Yeah, I think, uh, first of all, I'm, I'm convinced Magnus will reach that 2,900. Wow. Because there is, there is such a thing as rating inflation. What you see is is that over time, slowly, the ratings of the of the top people will, are, are going up. So the average rating in the tournaments will also go up. And Magnus, Magnus is still such an incredibly strong player that uh, I have no doubt that, that eventually he will get there. Uh, it will take maybe another two years or so. Uh, but yes, I, I can see that happening. Um, it, this tournament, uh, Magnus uh, was beaten uh, twice in, in, in the early rounds by Giri and Abdu Satorov. Also, he, he took quite a lot of risk. In the later rounds, uh, he's been lucky in the sense that uh, he didn't need to take a lot of risk uh, to still convert to a full point. And what you see is that a lot of people are playing way below their level. Uh, and I call this a psychological impact from playing against the great big Magnus. And, and people really uh, see, seem to be struggling in this tournament with that. So we've seen Rapport, we've seen uh, Fabi, we've seen... Uh, Maxulu, uh, they all uh, gave away their games uh, without too much effort. And, and for Magnus, in a, in a tournament uh, where things are not going well, he was clearly not playing very precise in the, in the early rounds. That's, of course, uh, fantastic news. And um, I did some uh, calculations. I looked a little bit at, at the opponents they still have to play. And I can see as a very realistic scenario that Magnus and uh, Giri and Abdus Satorov uh, will end this tournament on eight and a half points. So uh, three people on, on shared first. Uh, of course, there are many other scenarios possible, but I wouldn't rule out that Magnus is still going to share for the for the title and may even win in a in a blitz playoff. Yeah, I caught his interview with uh, Fiona Steele Anthony, and Fiona's doing a great job as always. Shout out to Fiona, but yeah, there was definitely a bit of a spring in his step uh, that was not detected earlier in the tournament. And yeah, he's not to be discounted, but he also conceded himself in the interview that it's kind of out of his hands. I mean, he he's going to need some help uh, being a point back with three rounds to go. Um, I guess he'd be rooting for Geary with White against Abdu Satarov on Friday, um, and then uh, hoping to then only be half a point back if uh, he can win as well. Um, although I guess if he can win even a draw, and he'd be half a point back. But in any event, he's going to need some help. And Mike, I have to say, I respectfully disagree about him uh, hitting 2,900. To me, to gain 50 more points at age 32 with all these young upstarts, I mean, it, you know, 
it's generally not been a profitable business to bet against Magnus Carlsen, but uh, <laughs> but but that w- that would be quite a feat for him to to pull that off. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, we've got second place, the 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 Dutchman, of course, uh, with um, Russian and Indian roots as well. Uh, chess star, Twitter star, uh, 28 years of age, up 12.8 points, so up to number five on the live readings, Anish Giri. Uh, what have you noticed, Michael? Well, Anish usually plays well in, in Wijkense. Uh, not fantastic. Uh, uh, yes, he was uh, shared first, I think, twice. But he also had some tournaments that that were not so great. But never, I don't remember a very bad tournament. Maybe in the earlier years, uh, this tournament is of course very special for him and all his uh, support and sponsors. And I think he prepares well for it. He, he usually feels at home in Wijkense, and you can also tell afterwards in in the press room he's uh, making all kind of jokes. He's analyzing with other players, not just in the Masters, but also in in the challenges with uh, people like Adiban or uh, with Lamy. He's following their games with great interest. Um, yesterday, uh, he had followed the game of Donchenko. So, uh, yeah, he, uh, Max Warmedam, of course, he follows because Max uh, used to work for him. So, Anis is, is really enjoying this tournament. Uh, he's playing well, uh, lots of uh, good opening ideas. Uh, I think you can see already the initial uh, benefit of, of working with Gustafsson, which started a few months ago. And uh, the idea is to continue that uh, going forward. Um, and I think that's working well for Anis. Anis was, of course, ha- had dropped out of the top 10 and, and then suddenly doesn't get invites for tournaments anymore. So he had to change something. And, and what you see is that he made this very deliberate decision to work with Jan and uh, focusing now on Tata. And yeah, like you said, maybe uh, number five, he will get uh, tournament invites again. Um, and, and he can continue in, in the in the top of the chess world. So I think great achievement for Anis. He was a little bit lucky in his game against Ding. He could have lost that game easily. Uh, but that's basically the only game so far where he's really been uh, at risk. Um, and yeah, he calculates well. He's he's very well prepared. And and we'll see. Uh, he's not for me immediately favorite to win against Abdus Satorov, but it, it it really depends on how Abdus Satorov will will come out of the the rest day. And we will be back momentarily to wrap things up and discuss the incredible performance so far of Grandmaster Abdu Satarov. Perpetual Chess is proud, as always, to be brought to you in part by Chessable.com. Chessable, of course, is known for their Move Trainer technology, which utilizes spaced repetition to help you remember tactical patterns and opening sequences. They have a huge library of courses for whatever aspect of your game you want to work on. Some of their new courses include a course on the Tarash defense to D4, which is a good choice if you're looking for a dynamic opening against one D4. It's by Super Grandmaster Jordan Von Forrest. Speaking of Super Grandmaster, Former world champion and legendary trainer Rustam Kazimjanov has a course out on the C3 Sicilian. If you're newer to chess, be sure to check out Friend of the Pod. I am Andres Toth's 1D4 for beginners. And of course, they've got tactics courses too. They have stuff you can check out for free. So if you have not already, make sure you go to chessable.com and keep an eye on their ever-growing supply of quality chess courses. And we are back. And obviously, you mentioned uh, Geary's legendary opening preparation. It'll be interesting to see what he targets 
uh, in the, the youngsters' repertoire. Um, regarding uh, Jan Gustafsson working with them, um, of course, Jan did mention it uh, on the Chicken Chess Club podcast. Um, but did you hear them? Did you hear them provide more details? As you mentioned, that they've been working together for months and plan to continue to do so. No, uh, my understanding is, but uh, this is more my understanding that I've heard through the grapevine, not officially confirmed, is that um, for Anis, it's it's a big target to stay within the top ten. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, a uh, 12th place is, is almost like semi-retirement at, at the moment. And he's too young and probably also too talented to uh, to accept that at this point. So he had to change something. Anis is, is well known that uh, he tends to miss things in, in the middle game and end game, in, in his, uh, sometimes in calculation. He's a very intuitive player. So there has been some criticism also in the, in the Netherlands, which was not always fair because he, he's one of our biggest sports, sports stars. Uh, but we, we have sometimes a tendency to be a bit negative on, on his missed chances, which is easy nowadays to point out with an engine uh, next to you. But it, it's clear that uh, there are some, uh, I would say, relative gaps if you benchmark him towards other top players in his calculation and, and in sometimes converting a better position. And as a result, he also doesn't always take uh, risk to keep a game going and, and just uh, sees, uh, is a bit afraid, sees maybe some ghost and then settles for, for a draw. Um, and I think he, he, he realizes that he needs to do something about that, which is not easy. But I think one of the, the ways to potentially do something about that is by him spending less time on opening preparation which will be a very difficult uh, change for him because uh, he's been doing it for so many years successfully. So it's his comfort zone. It's what he loves. Uh, and I'm not saying that, that he will succeed this, but I, I believe, but this is my own interpretation, that by uh, partnering with Jan, his idea is that potentially he can spend a little bit less time on openings and, and start working on some other things. Now, whether that's going to work in practice or where the practice is that he continues to work as hard on his openings as always. And he has Jan on top of that. That's that's to be seen. Uh, but I think that's the strategic concept that's behind uh, the partnership so that Anish potentially can work uh, a bit more on other areas in chess. And at least this tournament so far, uh, it's, it's very successful for him. Um, and I, w- I would, uh, of course, if he doesn't become a one, uh, if he doesn't win this tournament, he will be a little bit disappointed. But I think for him, it's very important if he would become number five or number six, six in the world again for his tournament invites uh, later this year. Okay. It's so fascinating to me because to me, he's like, I mean, I've, I've certainly heard the criticism about the propensity to draw and about calculation being a relative weakness, especially compared to his legendary uh, opening knowledge. But to me, he's just such a, a fantastic chess player. It's crazy that like that that chess fans are sitting around criticizing him and that he might feel some pressure. Because to me, it's it's absurd. But but I get it. I mean, you know, we we all we all want to pontificate from home. But anyway, I mean, obviously, I would I would like to see him make a push even higher. But I say, honest, you're doing just fine. <laughs> Don't let the haters get you down. Well, that, that, and I'm always impressed with all the pressures on him, how he truly behaves as a gentleman. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He, 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 
has that criticism. He has a lot of, of hate, uh, which I think is completely unjustified. He, he plays some fantastic games. Uh, he's always uh, willing to talk to the press. Great interviews with Fiona. Uh, also, not just dry answers, but uh, really trying to have some fun. P pays a lot of attention to his social media. Uh, wants to interact with his fans. So in, in that sense, I think he's a true role model. Well said. Okay, and number one, uh, the very definition of burying the lead. 55 minutes in, we, we, we finally discuss uh, the number one player in the tournament, uh, Abdu Satarov. What would you say about him, Michael? Well, first of all, I'm very happy for him. Fantastic tournament uh, so far. I think uh, he has this, this great feature that he's not afraid of anyone. So he's really uh, open-minded, uh, willing to fight. He won a fantastic game against Magnus. I think that was after we recorded our previous podcast. That was in the Ajax Stadium, which was a, a fantastic venue. And he won this uh, great game. And yeah, he, he's now uh, on, on first place. But what you also see is that uh, he, he played a very bad game against Keimer. And uh, <laughs> I had a smile when... Uh, during uh, the interview with Fiona, he said uh, after that game, I'm embarrassed about how I play today. I, I think that's very special words if, if you say that about, about your own play. Uh, but it was also a very long game. And then I thought it was a very professional decision, not, not great for the fans, to take an extra rest day yesterday by making an, a quick draw um, is, is the right thing to do. But because it's such a long tournament, you can see that people sometimes play two or even three tournaments within a tournament. And we've discussed already a few people who started well and then are, are now dropping back, like Maxulu and Arjun. We've also discussed a few people who, who didn't start well and are now making a comeback. Magnus, of course, uh, Gukesh uh, to a lesser extent. And uh, the question is for Abdus Satorov, and, and that uh, we will see in the next three rounds, whether he will be the one to be able to play just one tournament. So whether he will be able to continue successfully. And I would define successfully as at least 50% uh, out of the three remaining games, or preferably even one win and two draws. That would be a fantastic result for him. Uh, but it's a big challenge. And I'm also a little bit worried that in, in the chess world, we, we start overrating him uh, after this tournament. Um, he's a very young person, 18 years old. When you look at his results last year, uh, some were great, but some were also not so great. Like uh, in Beal, he, he, he lost some rating against uh, 2,600 players. And I think... Uh, we should be a bit bit cautious in now claiming that he will be the next uh, world champion, successor to Magnus, etc. Uh, what you actually see in this tournament is that we have five or six young players. And I think some of them do well in this tournament and some others will do well in the next tournament. And, and it will take a while uh, before they make uh, the next step to 2750. Then it will take uh, another maybe one or two years before they go from 2750 to 2800. Every time you need to put in a tremendous investment in terms of training to uh, increase your level by two or three percent. And we, we've seen this always in, in chess history. When you look at previous world champions, Magnus was coming from a, 
long distance. We could see already that uh, he was going uh, places. But also for him, it was hard work uh, to make that extra step. And I think we need to... Um, uh, be patient a little bit with the young people and also not write off some of the young people who are now maybe a little bit lower, like uh, Keimer. I'm sure he has a great future. Uh, Arjun, we will see coming back in top tournaments. And, and maybe Nordebeck's uh, next tournament will be uh, not so great. It, it's quite possible. But uh, this tournament, very impressive, very stable play, and I hope he will continue. Yeah, well said. And as you alluded to, I mean... First of all, in addition to having Black against Geary in the next round, after that he has Black against Wesley So. So cert certainly won't be easy. And then he does have White against uh, Van Forest in the final round. And getting to what you were saying about sort of this uh, tendency to anoint players uh, based on whichever tournament they have, uh, wh whoever just had the, the top tournament, um, as amazing as all of these young players are, I mean, Magnus himself, when he was age 18, uh, was like number six in the world and within 25 points of uh, of being world number one. So no one is quite on his trajectory with, you know, the possible exception of Faruja, who, of course, is missing in action. Um, yep. So, I mean, we've got all these amazing phenoms and I'm not taking away anything from any of them, but but it's not fait accompli that necessarily any of them will uh, supplant Magnus, getting to what you were saying about uh him him maybe tackling 2900 uh yeah. we shall see it'll be it'll be interesting um so uh mikey this has been fantastic it'll be a fascinating final three rounds do you do you have any plans to get ready before you head back to the tournament hall tomorrow no uh it will be uh, great to, to be there for for the three rounds I think uh, I share a bit the passion that I uh, said earlier, Elina Rubers, who's uh, using her rest day today also to play Blitz. I also feel this tournament is addictive. Uh, I, I wish it would continue the rest of the year, probably. Uh, very bad for my social life. Right. But I, really, I really don't want it uh, to end on, on Sunday. I have no idea yet what, what I'm going to do on Monday, probably play Blitz or something, yeah, just to, just to stay connected to the chess world. But uh, it's been a, a truly inspirational tournament. Uh, I think uh, we have a lack at, at classical tournaments at the moment, uh, not a lot of them happening. And if they do happen, it tends to be with, say, uh, five or six players out of the top 10 in the world and, and, and a lot of uh, short draws. I think this tournament has been so much open and fighting chess. You also alluded earlier to the challenges. I, I follow them closely. Uh, some fantastic games, uh, including uh, um, a rook end game that my friend Lamy won against Donchenko uh, with a fantastic maneuver uh, that, that Donchenko missed. And again, there might be people saying, oh, what an easy mistake. I, I don't think it was, was so easy at all. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, once uh, the tournament's over, I'll probably take a bit of time to go over the games, uh, maybe analyze. I've even been thinking about putting a training session together on uh, endgame uh, lessons from the tournament. Uh, I can think already of about six, seven examples. There was also an, a pawn endgame yesterday in the challenges uh, with Tabatei and, and Beertse. So uh, a lot of interesting stuff that basically gives you energy uh, to continue after this tournament. And, and that's why I love it so much. Well, the love comes across. And yeah, definitely um, appreciate your taking the time, Mikeo, and uh, sharing your insights about uh, this 
this excellent tournament. So um, uh, anything to add before we say our goodbye? The only thing, as, as usual, then, is that uh, I love engagement with chess enthusiasts uh, enthusiastics, uh, around the world. So uh, please reach out to me on Twitter if, if people have questions about this tournament, uh, about training tips, about uh, which chess book they, they should uh, buy next. Uh, just ask me on Twitter. I love that engagement. Okay, glad to hear it. Well, thanks so much, Michael, and, and enjoy the home stretch of uh, Tata Steel 2023. Thank you, Ben. Thanks to everyone who helps make Perpetual Chess possible. Big shout out to my producer, Matthew Passy. I'd also like to thank the Blue Wire Podcast Network, with whom we are proud to be affiliated. Be sure to follow us on social media, Beneficial1 on Twitter, at Perpetual Chess on Instagram, and or you can join the Perpetual Chess Facebook group. You can email me, ben at perpetualchesspod.com. And of course, last but not least, I'd like to give major thanks to the Perpetual Chess Patreon and PayPal supporters. Those who choose to join that community based on their level of support can do things like submit questions for guests of the show, have access to live Zoom Q&A lectures with grandmasters who often have appeared on the show, going over chess games, answering questions, stuff like that. And you can even get access to ad-free perpetual chess if that's your preference. So, but most of all, thanks to everyone for listening and we will catch you all on the Podcast Network.